This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. This is Kelly Henderson, and you're listening to the Velvet's Edge podcast. This week, my guest is songwriter Luke Dick. Luke is becoming a well-known name in Nashville for his hit songs written for everyone from Eric Church to Casey Musgraves to Miranda Lambert and Dirk Bentley. But there is a lot more to his story than that. Luke spent years making his way as a philosophy teacher. He is also the lead singer in his own band, formerly named Republican Hair and now called Steve. Luke can also now add filmmaker to his resume with his new documentary, Red Dog, which chronicles his mother's stories from his childhood about her days as a stripper. Fascinating does not even begin to describe Luke Dick. Here's our conversation. Okay, so when I was researching about you before this, like the stories I love hearing in Nashville are... People who did not necessarily just come to Nashville and make it really fast because we always hear about the final story, you know? So can you tell me like what made you want to move here? Um, it was a fluke, a little bit of a fluke. Um, uh, I just, it just, I'm sorry. I have to diverge for just a second because... You went about this backwards, uh-huh. it, you, because most people want to know the end result, right? Right. And it was there's this rapper named Plies, and he has a really great Instagram account where he just he sort of philosophizes or whatever for just a minute or whatever, and he goes, he starts it with this enigmatic thing that he says, which is. Uh, Nobody wants to hear about the labor pains. Everybody just wants to see the baby. It's so true. Yeah, though. yeah. And he says, when they walk into the delivery room, do they say, do they say, they talk to the mom? No, they say, where's the baby? Where's the baby? Right. Where's the baby? In a minute, they'll say, how's mom doing? You know, how did, how was labor? Yeah. Whatever. But see, you flipped it all over. You're asking about the labor pains before the baby. You know why I do that, though? It's because <laughs> when I hear about the baby, uh-huh. it makes me feel bad about my life. Like, why didn't I just get there? You know? So I want to know the baby's the story. a trick, though. The baby is a trick. I don't mean to how stay so? in this metaphor. <laughs> I know, we're stuck. <laughs> I'll tell you why it's a trick is because people go into places like the Bluebird, which I love, and and then the songwriters play their songs, and most of the time it's great songs, and you're like, oh, geez, man, how could I ever write Mm -hmm. songs like that? Well, the truth is, is that if it's a round of three people or four, I'm playing my five best songs. Exactly. I could muster or that play into that dynamic. And I've been, I've written 500 songs. Right. So you're picking 1% of your songs. And so that's all you get to see. And you don't get to see the labor pains. So tell me about your labor pains. My labor pains. (laughs) Um, I did land in Nashville flukishly. Um, I had somebody ask me if 
I wanted to be a songwriter, um, and I was playing in an alt country band in Oklahoma, and I was in a master a master's degree studying philosophy and playing bands on the weekends. And I'd always played in bands since I was in high school. And it was real to me. It wasn't just a hobby. It was like, well, I'll keep playing in this band and somebody will find us because we're great, which is what yeah. everybody thinks in every band that you're ever in. And something will happen. Or my backup plan is I'll just become a philosophy professor which really isn't that awesome of a backup plan either. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because the way that academics work, oh, I mean, yeah. there aren't that many philosophy positions open across the country, so you end up having to take a job in, in North Dakota or something right. because that's where the one is open. Otherwise, you're doing adjunct work, which... I mean, it's a it's a living, and it's you can still be I could still be passionate about teaching in that fashion, but it is really piecemeal type of living. Um, I mean, what I'm doing now is piecemeal as well, but um, the pieces are bigger and the meal yeah. is bigger if you do well. Um, philosophy, you never really hit it big in philosophy. Yeah. Um, so I was there studying, playing in a band and um they said you ought to go to nashville i know some people in nashville go write some songs with so and so and i came out here and um it was kind of a disaster to tell you the truth um the first trip was a little bit of a disaster it was before um smartphones and so I was supposed to be staying with this guy who had a publishing company, but on the way, um, texting had just come out, right? And so yeah. he was texting me, and then I almost got here, and it's about, I got to Jackson, Tennessee, and it, he just went radio silent on me, and it was like, uh, I'm sorry, you're going to have to get a place. I, I was supposed to stay with him. I'm sorry, you're going to have to stay. Go stay at Lowe's Vanderbilt. They have a room there. Which is really expensive. Yeah, and I'm like, <laughs> uh, what, how, I, I'm in grad school. Right. I'm sort of spending all the extra money that I had just to drive out here, and then I was this close, and I didn't know what to do. So I drove, and I happened to get off on Broadway, and but I turned right, or no, I got off on DeMombrin and turned right. I said, Music Row this way. So you just turned on Music Row? <laughs> I just row. turned on to Music Row, and it was like, <gasps> six o'clock five o'clock something it was like happy hour you know on a friday and demombrin all those shops now that i know they just popped up tin roof and all that yeah and I past those and i went around the circle and i'm like well this is kind of small i expected there to be like these huge buildings and stuff you kind of see ascap oh it's kind of glitzy right you drive yeah. down one side and it's like these are just houses and stuff yeah. you know and i came back down the other side and i'm like i don't know what to do I guess I'm just going to go have a drink. and um, It's always a good solution. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> this is, uh, you're really, we're really getting into it here. So, yeah. <laughs> so I, I drive to the liquor store. I get a, uh, I was drinking scotch at the time, so I got a little fifth of Dewar's. Okay. And I put it in my boot because I couldn't afford a drink all night, so I would order one drink. And I uh. sat at the corner of the bar, which I'd read this book from Harlan Howard or the story about Harlan Howard, who's a great Nashville songwriter, who said, sit at the corner of the bar because it's called the pole position. You can hear conversations from both sides at the uh, pole position. And so I'm like, I yeah, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing here. So I sit down and then I noticed that some guys to the left of me, they were songwriters. And uh, I kind of worked my way into the conversation and they're like, what are you doing here? I'm like, I just got here like an hour ago. I want to be a songwriter. And uh, the guy I was supposed to stay with, he's on a bender or something and won't let me stay with him now. And they're like, ah, oh, man, I just got a Leanne Rhymes cut. Once you come down to Longhorn, we'll buy you a steak. And so they bought me a steak. Well, that was nice. Yeah, and that's how I got to Nashville. But didn't you come and then leave? I moved here after that trip because the okay. trip was so wonderful, right? It sounds so great. Why wouldn't anybody move here after that? Right. Well, I hung out and um, I ended up getting a small publishing deal and I came and I made a record they're like you should be a country artist and um I'm like I never thought of that until you said it 
um, I like some country. I'd listen. I'd listen to the actually listen to the format the whole way. So I'm like, how am I supposed Trying to? Trying to learn. Yeah, I'm like, I like Hank <laughs> Jr. I like Hank Williams. How? Yeah. And so on the way out, I heard two songs that I really liked on the radio, and I'm like, that's enough. You know, two songs that I like. Okay, maybe I could be one of the songs that I like. You know. Yeah. And so, I. I came out and signed the publisher deal and they wanted me to be an artist and I made a couple of records or a couple of demo sets of demos and I had been here four years or so and it wasn't like hundreds of people were lining up to see me play or wanting to sign me to a record deal or anything like that. Nobody was cutting my songs and I just thought, what am I doing? You know, I had by then um, was a single dad with a daughter raising her with a best friend of mine who moved out here to write songs too. And so it's like my two dads in this apartment. Oh my God. You. And we're struggling for peanut butter half the time. You know, by then yeah. I'm kind of teaching some philosophy. I'm driving a forklift. I'm writing songs, doing whatever I can to yeah. pay the rent. And I'm just like, this is dumb. I don't know how to do this. N nobody seems to care. Anybody, nobody who matters seems to care. So I just probably need to go get finish my degree and become a doctor of philosophy and teach philosophy and um, go on about my business. And so um, about then I was starting up a relationship with my now wife who was moving to New York. Mm -hmm. And I'd been there one time for like one night and... When I was there, I was like, what would it be like to live here? Yeah. I mean, it's a magical city. It, it, yeah. And it's overwhelming. I mean, the place where I grew up was 300 people, you know, oh, in, yeah. in, in a, in a five-mile radius. And I was like, wow, what a difference in a way of life. And it was overwhelming. But I was like, what would, I was just like, what would that be like? Yeah. And so she was moving there for her education. And I just thought, I'll just go to school up there. And so I, you went back to school. Well, I went and started applying to grad schools for PhD programs, and uh, my daughter and I went to the post office first day, and I just started applying for also adjunct teaching jobs around the city. And so we mailed out twenty, you know, uh, CVs they call them, what curriculum vita or whatever, and. Um, Ended up getting four or five jobs all over the city in different boroughs teaching philosophy. And then on my days off, I would write music. And then I became buddies with people who worked at advertising agencies. Mm -hmm. And they're like, your music's good. You should write, you know, you should have music for us and write music for us or whatever. So I learned how to do that and started getting the stuff that I would write would be adverts for, you know, uh, Sweet and Low or uh, <laughs> Hilton or whatever. And the money yeah. and the money was great. And yeah. it was weird. It was like it was sort of the first time I was outside my head on what should I write about today? You know, it was like we need a song about togetherness. Okay. So it was so specific. It was so specific. Yeah. And it was like not necessarily related to something that was going on in my life or something like yeah. that. So it was character writing in a way. But it was still, it's, it was like, I wanted to like it at the end of the day. It's like, I want to make something cool. Yeah. They're going to pay me if, if I do really well and it's the one that gets picked, they'll pay me really well. So I started doing that and slowly over time I would teach less, teach less and make more and win more jobs like that. And then um, I signed another publishing deal about the same time and then Arturo, uh, my current publisher, called me when I was in New York asking for songs for Dirks Bentley. And, <laughs> you and know that I guy? Mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and I was, you know, I was um, making the ad stuff, but I also had my own record that was kind of neighborhood-centric stuff that I was thinking about, people that I was around. I was making little documentaries. I was, you know, shooting film and just sort of being in, the, in my neighborhood and being creative on my days off yeah and so i but the record wasn't country it was like kind of folky indie ish you know your record you my mean. record okay. that i was making at the time and arturo was calling asking for dirks bentley songs which maybe some of my stuff when i was in nashville could have applied but these songs were all in falsetto you know and they were 
um, uh, these weird songs about the afterlife and all this stuff. And <laughs> I was like, man, you don't want any of these songs. You can't. He's not gonna sing any of this stuff. Yeah. I mean, I it's, I like him, but it's just like it's just not even a fit, you know. And he's like, all right, look me up when you're in Nashville. And so. I mean, really, you fast forward a few years, and I kept winning at ads, and then I signed another publishing deal, and then Arturo and I, who um, executive produces Dirks and executive produces Eric Church, and he sought me out and was like, we should do something together. And I'm like, all right. Again, I've never been one. I've been always been ambitious, but never been the one be like, okay, I need... I want the Dirks cuts. I want the Eric cuts. So yeah. I need to be working with these people. Yeah. It was, it, business never applied to me like that or it never came to me. And looking back, I was like, what an idiot. Why didn't I just do X, Y, and Z in order to fit in or do this or do that? But it was always just sort of led creatively on what I was doing creatively and just hoping that somebody would fall out of the sky to be a team with me um, who we could actually make a living mm -hmm. with, you know. That's kind of what he did, a little bit, he right? He did. He, I mean, he kind of fell out of the sky. Um, but he he was working at Capitol Records yeah. when we took the one of the the record that I'd made when I was living in Nashville the first time. I'd taken my record in there and basically got laughed out of the room because it wasn't it wasn't what was going on at the time. It didn't sound like it. It fit the format, um, although now when you listen to that record, it sounds like it fits the format. Why now? Like, what's what the, did it sound the, like? The sounds changed in Nashville. The vibes changed. And so, whereas, and this is not any knock or anything, but when you have, like, Redneck Woman, mm -hmm. Save a Horse, Ride a Cowboy. I mean, these are all bombastic songs that are, like, these sort of chunky rock things and um i was more into sort of how could i be like a tom pettyish kind of country thing that were and by the time i came back like jay joyce and eric church were making mm -hmm. records together and they sounded different and i was like is this what they're doing in nashville now when i was i mean because i wasn't paying attention to yeah. radio and the answer was no that's not exactly what they were doing in nashville but it was a part of it which opened the door for people like me to come in and actually f kind of fit or be on the fringes and not be seen as something that could never work or whatever. What was the first big cut you got? I mean, um, my first major label cut was a Kip Moore cut. Yeah. Um, and he was coming over to write songs. Um, none of those ended up being radio singles um eric's record the last record uh mr misunder mr misunderstood he came over i had an idea and i sent it to arturo and he's like i think eric would love this i'm gonna send it to him he sent it to eric yes i want please put that back for me i want to write that with you okay great we come over it's kill a word. So we write kill a word and then he come, we write, we finish that song in like an hour and then he breaks out kind of a chorus to round here buzz. And so we write that, which kind of becomes like the luckiest day of my career life. So, so is far. that, cause that, is that normal to write two huge songs? <laughs> no, it's not. normal. <laughs> it's not normal to write one. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> what does that look like? I'm so curious because obviously you're now talking about the business of songwriting a little yeah. bit. And when I first moved to Nashville, I remember, you know, I just think of songwriters as maybe like driving down the street and they get this idea and then it's just, it flows out of you guys. Uh -huh. But how it's so much more planned and you get paired up with people and there's meetings and... Well, that that is, but I, I mean, I would probably back up to say it's more about driving around and getting an idea really? for a song. To me, it is. Yeah. You can, you can get paired with somebody... But being paired with somebody doesn't mean you're going to have an idea or it's going to gel creatively or that anything's going to happen that's better than mediocre. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, even a mediocre song uh, by Nashville standards is pretty good, a pretty good song. But 
things that stick out, things that make it sort of the, the, the ones that rise to the top. It to me, it seems to it's always I've always felt like it was a really something spe something special when we were making it. Um, and so I um, generally you rely on your writers a lot. So, you know, you, you get to you get a crew and you're. If if you don't have an idea that day, you get your fingers crossed, hoping they have a title or something. I'm doing my best. I'm gonna make some music before they get in here, mm -hmm. so that there'll be something that we can vibe on and have fun, or just a starting point of some sort, you know. Or sometimes you don't, you know. Sometimes you got to go to the doctor that morning, and you get into the writing room, and you just came from the doctor, and you just got to go for it and see what happens. And that's when you start hopefully getting a crew that you really trust to be able to be inspired and to yeah. actually have a good day that um was worth doing you know um whether it's fun whether it's serious whether it's up tempo down tempo whatever you know that that you're chasing down ideas that are worth the five or six hours that you're putting into writing a song or whatever for the day and i always keep a book of titles mm -hmm. ideas that i want to write that i kind of maybe have an idea or it's just a title that i find is interesting or something like that so i'll keep a running title log and then think that could be that might be something that eric would be into yeah or something and so you're trying to find things and you say that not because to me not because you're trying to angle it getting business done to me it's I think that that's a cool title. That to me seems like something I would like to chase down with this artist because this is how they are, mm -hmm. or this is how they think creatively, and they might like that or something. Something that that's how my thought process goes when I'm yeah, um, like it's a good match for it's them. It's a good match for them. Yeah, um, and it's I always think about songs and collaborations as being like Venn diagrams and. So, right, you've got your personality or whatever and somebody else's personality, mm -hmm. and you're looking for that, the, the two circles overlapping. Okay. And you're looking for that middle part to where you both overlap each other in some creative way. Um, I may, I'm just thinking about, sometimes I write songs, I didn't just break up with somebody. Right. Know? I have before, um, and at one point in my career, I would think, well, that's disingenuous, you know, that's disingenuous in some way, but then I'm like, well, was John Steinbeck sort of this uh, sort of giant simpleton? No, uh, Lenny was, his character that he mm -hmm. wrote, and he was writing a character for a certain reason, you know, and so... Um, I think of songs that way, you know, it's like, I want to, it doesn't necessarily have to be about my life, but I, I want to like it. You know, every time I sit down, I want to like it. Yeah. Um, if it's a party song, it's, I want it to be a party song in the way I like to party. Um, so that's what you're trying to inject. Or if somebody else is there and it's an artist or something like that, and they have an idea of how they want to make the song, and it's like, okay, let me be a facilitator of words and images for you for that, whatever it is. Yeah. You know? um, and I don't mind doing that. I feel like it's a, I don't know, a really, uh, it's an enjoyable, creative Rubik's Cube um, to me. Do you typically, are you able to identify with the feelings you're talking about, though, even if they're not your own? Because let me just say this first. I mean, some of the songs you've written are some of my favorite songs. You've written The Mountain, Burning Man for Dirk Bentley, Plead the Fifth and the Bull for Kip Moore, Hi Highway Vagabonds, Pink Sunglasses for Miranda Lambert. And I was thinking about all of those songs and I'm like, when I listen to those songs, like I feel those feelings. Like mm -hmm. Burning Man makes me want to jump up and down and I feel the back and forth and yeah. the confusion. The pink Sunglasses, like I imagine that with that, the way that you write. I... Um I know that that's a female song, or people say it's female, but yeah. I play it out all the time when I'm doing really? around. Yeah, it's like uh, it's kind of like a, a punkier version of like rose-colored glasses. You know, yeah. it's just like it's it's a little punky, punky. You know, 
where it's like it's that scene in the Big Lebowski where um, he puts on the sunglasses and it's just like fuck it, let's go bowling. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's like. I feel like that a lot when I'm walking around. I'm just like, I don't want to deal with the world. Yeah. Like the second, like I've had enough, you know, can we just put this on? I don't, uh, there's plenty of times I enjoy interacting with people and there's plenty of times that I don't do. Mm-hmm. And so that's really kind of, can we, can you have fun not interacting? Yes, you can. It's called pink sunglasses. <laughs> you know, that is, that is that vibe. Yeah. But, I don't, the Bull was a kind of a fun, weird one. I love that song. Me and John Randall were had just we met that morning. And I had an idea that I'd written down that I thought was good, and then didn't think was good, and then thought was good, and then didn't think was good. But it was like I woke up from the dream where I was thanking people, like I was receiving a, an award for something, and I'm like, most of all, thanks to the Bulls that bucked me off. And then that, so and I woke good. up and I was like, oh, it's brilliant. And then, I, <laughs> and then I woke up and I wrote it down and I was like, that's not that brilliant. And then I'm just, John and I didn't have, um, we didn't, I didn't have a track or I didn't have music or anything. And I'm just like, I just got this thing, you know. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, I love it, man. Let's go. And I'm like, cool. We're just like, let's just, just go. And and he had so many images for it, and I had so many images for it, and so we just took off, you know. See, I'm so glad that happens to other creatives too, though, where you think it's good and then you're like, oh, that's so, that's so terrible. No, no, no. And you like debate in your head before you can even put it out to anything. Yeah. That's the, that's part of the creative process, you know, and then you, and you think, and you don't really know if it's good until it gets out in front of other people. The, yeah. That's not necessarily true. I don't know. I mean, it's like you got to look at aesthetic value or whatever and you, to me, it starts with yourself. Is this expressing something that you feel is genuine, mm-hmm. that is worth expressing? Hope, maybe it's expressed in a way that hasn't been expressed before. Maybe it's something that hasn't been expressed before. Sort of some kind of unique expression, you know, um, some emotion or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's both lyrical and it's musical at the same time because they're songs. It's not just a lyric. It's a lyric and a, and a music, too. And you can spin those two and you can marry those two and quilt them together in infinite ways. Um, so you have to love it. Yeah. Um, and well, the great thing about co-writing is that you want the person in the room to love it, too. This is a, a joint effort here. And so you guys love it, and you make it, and then you wonder, you know, is the world going to love yeah, it? Yeah, is it and, just in this room? or? Yeah, and mm-hmm. then you have to put it out and then see what just, just see what happens, you know, and see yeah. if the world loves it or not. And I try not to dig too deep on um, fan love of songs and stuff, but it's important to me. It's nice to know that it did something, you mm-hmm. know. It made... Um, it, it wasn't just me in the room by myself feeling a feeling that is only only applies to me. You know? Exactly. It's like, cool, we're human. We identify with each other. We have similar feelings about things. You know, that's mm-hmm. the I feel like that's the biggest joy of songwriting and the fans of songs or fans of the artists that sing the songs or you know, when they're when they're connecting with something, to see that kind of a connection is it's gratifying to me. Um, I never thought about the connection piece to that. Like when you're validated back with people loving something, it is like, Oh, I loved it. Oh, cool. You love it too. Yeah. 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 I mean, because the, the, whatever that you wrote kind of becomes an, it, once it's out, it's not yours anymore. You don't even remember the, you don't even remember the labor pains of it, you know? Right. And so there is the baby and you, love the baby and you loved it as you were making it but it's not it's a it's its own independent thing right. after that and right. that other people love the baby too is uh i don't know a a real fringe benefit um, yeah. of songwriting I, I, I can't say that it's the reason for songwriting but it is a fringe benefit maybe is a little too flippant it is a a, a real 
a real draw and a real, I don't know, kind of a little human revelation of sorts, you know, that you don't feel so alone, you know, you yeah. there are other people who identify in the way that you identify. And sometimes to me, there's no better feeling than that in the world. Absolutely. But I mean? you're not alone. If you know anything about me, you know I am a massive creature of comfort. It is one of my top priorities in life to make my surroundings comfortable at all times. So when I found Cozy Earth, I quickly scooped up all of the luxurious bedding and loungewear that I could. It felt very on brand for me, but then I went on a trip with a girlfriend not too long ago where she could not stop commenting on how cute and comfy my pajamas were, which then made me realize they may also be my new favorite travel companion as well. Guys, I am not kidding when I say you will experience unmatched softness and smoothness with all of Cozy Earth's products. The temperature-regulating bamboo joggers and pullover crew add comfort and a touch of style to any travel ensemble, and their bedding comes in the most adorable totes, making it a super easy gift to give anyone. Discover your next destination for ultimate comfort at Cozy Earth. Visit CozyEarth.com and use our code Velvet's Edge at the checkout for an exclusive 35% off and let them know we sent you when you're at the checkout. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Oh, I imagine too, that's another piece of picking the right artist for each song. Because have you ever had an experience where you write something and then an artist translates it into their own thing that you don't like? Or do you let go of it at that point? Should it, yeah, let's just air out the dirty laundry. We'll spill the tea. Why not? Um, let's do it on the Velvet Edge podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, you don't have that, to name names. That inevitably. <laughs> unless you want to. I feel like it's, it, any songwriter who has some. Um, some success that's just gonna happen does it because you're gonna you're slinging songs and you know you are just trying to create opportunities with your songs once you make them and so um things get tangled or they get tied up with this artist and then that mm. artist gets dropped and then that this doesn't happen i mean yeah. there are so many failures there are so many failures in life and there are even more failures in the music business, I feel like. It's right. what it seems like. It's just you have to wade through a sea of no's to find some minnow of yes out there. That's why know? I asked about your labor pains, because yeah. that's what it's been for. I think anyone in Nashville has gone through that. And the people now see the success and think, yeah. oh, how great, I want to do that. But you're like, oh, it took a I, lot. Every <laughs> once in a while, I get pinned for a meeting of some new songwriter or something. Um, and it's a friend who says, please meet with so-and-so. Right. And it's just like, I, I don't know what to say, you know, um, other than, you know, there are a couple of little tips, right? Um, one tip is, uh, you just have to write your own song. I don't have the answers for you, you know, the, or the, the the uh, somebody who's had a few hits or whatever mm -hmm. or who had a, 40 hits or they don't have the you don't want them to be the ones who provide what you're the, whatever it is that you're looking for you need to be the one providing what it is you're looking for hmm. creatively 
that that's the like, yeah that's the secret i don't know how you do that but well one way to do it is to love music and and try to be searching for an idea or try to be mm -hmm. searching for a song I, I mean the magic on that is difficult to codify or whatever but find those things that you love find those ideas that you love and find ways to cultivate them and inevitably you're going to fail at that and inevitably you're going to make crummy songs that nobody wants to hear i have tons of crummy songs that no one wants to hear um but that's okay and then the the, the bleak fact is that even then you just it just may not be interesting enough it may not be good enough um and so you may not be a songwriter or you may not be lucky enough right some concoction of that um can happen along the way and i've long thought about artists um i've it's such a tricky tricky business of to when to quit <laughs> no i totally because because you think about your experience yeah. you moved to new york you were doing something else if you hadn't come back you wouldn't have all these hits yeah but why didn't how'd you know to come back it's easy to say god bless the broken road once right. the road is awesome <laughs> once it's not so broken yeah, yeah yeah but it could remain crummy forever but yeah. i mean it's like i would just Josh Osborne, a great songwriter, just won NSAI Songwriter of the Year. And he talked about being in Nashville, maybe 20 years or something like that. And maybe the last five to seven or something like that have been good for him. So that's wow. 12 years of getting kicked around. And and, yeah. and, not, and so you're, you're just going off any little crumb of potential good news or potential for things to happen. Um, I had a kid really young in my life and so there's always been a practical mm -hmm. voice in my head saying well how is she supposed to go to college right. how is she supposed to get fed how is she supposed to uh, do whatever um, yeah, you had like an extra pressure that some people might not it changes things mm -hmm. you know and so I feel like I don't know if you're nobody's you don't have a mouth to feed it's like well you can do that all your life if you want to yeah you know? um, I have some friends back in Dallas um, who are musicians and they've been they've been a married couple that have been do it, doing it as long as I've known them and they're probably I want to say mid 40s to pushing 50 mm -hmm. and They've always had good local bands, right? And inter they do interesting things, but it hasn't ever popped. Anything has never popped for them. And he said, I go out with these people and they have jobs, you know, and they make middle class, upper middle class incomes. And they ask me, what do you do for work? And, you know, here I am um, working at a bookstore. He said, I just want to crawl under a table and die. He said, because that's not what I'm about. That's not what I right. actually am. I want to make stuff and I make stuff and and it's hard to justify it sometimes when it's not commercially successful it's hard to value it's hard to give yourself value when it's not winning mm -hmm. on some cultural level and I've been there um, and and know, know what that feeling is um, and all the only solace that you have in those moments is that you are making something that you love um hmm. that's the only solace i mean that's like the it's like the the little germ or the little seed from which all things good can possibly flow and that's kind of how i see songs still is like that's the only place that it can start is something that you want to write you want to do you think is good or could be good or has something to offer you first right have anything to offer you doesn't mean that everything i've ever written has something for me to offer but that's the i don't want to talk about the failures i want to talk about the best ones you know 
So it's kind of cool to think about it that way because I always would imagine the pressure be like every meeting you have, you go in and you're like, let's write a hit song, let's write a hit song, let's write a hit song. But if you write that way, then you're writing, you're losing your whole motive behind it or your creativity. I want the songs to resonate. Of course. I, I want them to be on the radio. Um, but at first I want to love them. Yeah. And so I have to find a way to make something that I love and that the person in the room loves first. That's the first step. First step. It's a good first step. Yeah, uh, I remember Craig Wiseman, great songwriter, who kind of pioneered a genre of songwriting in a way. And uh, it's funny, you know, Craig became so popular and his style became so popular, you know, it's just like a, a Craig Wiseman song or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes the norm, you know, his, oh, like everyone his starts outside writing like the box. Yeah. Every, he is his outside the box. <laughs> One day is the inside the box yeah. five years down the road or whatever. Um, and we were writing a song and he goes, don't think about an artist when you're writing a song or what they would say. And he said, you, you what could have been a really great car that you're building together turns into a just a regular old green Honda because you've taken out all the life or taken out all the interesting things that it could have been that just because you were thinking that somebody wanted the green Honda because, you know, mm -hmm. it's, well, they wouldn't say this or they didn't do that oh, or they wow. wouldn't do this or they wouldn't do that if you're trying to aim at, at, at a particular artist or whatever. I thought that was pretty sage, that's, yeah. You know? And it keeps it, it keeps you young. And that's one thing about Craig Wiseman to me is it's like I feel like there's a creative youth still happening with him, and there's something that has to stay excited and curious and young about your creativity mm -hmm. um, in order for for you to feel vital doing it, you know. And I feel like songwriters can be vital. Till they die, yeah. till the day they die. Yeah. What is your, what would you say the Luke Dick specialty is? Oh my God. <laughs> wow. Um, I, I don't know. I try not to, um, let, let me think. I mean, it's, it's difficult. Um, well, let me ask I, you this. Do you think philosophy, your experience in philosophy has influenced at all how you write? I don't think so. Really? Um, no. Philosophy is, it sounds exciting and romantic, but it's really totally bo does. It's boring. Really? It's so boring. Ugh. There are so many boring things about it. It's just like, okay, the word metaphysics gets construed in all kinds of different ways. But in philosophy, the study of metaphysics is about how human beings have perceptions we see we hear we taste we touch and how that data kind of how did that how does that data turn into objects and knowledge and stuff like this mm -hmm. so we take it for and, and it's things that you take for granted that there's kind of a ghost in the machine of your consciousness that I'm smelling and I'm seeing this is a room that I'm in and here's a person in front of me. We are, I mean, I'm being bombarded by signals and, and right now that my brain is decoding and creating an object that's in front of me. And so people write about that and they write thousands of pages of that and it's very difficult and dense to read and it's not sexy at all. <laughs> um, but it is interesting to think about that kind yeah. of stuff. Um, I don't... I'm happy with the degree that I have, but that kind of stuff doesn't exactly apply to um, to songwriting. There are perennial questions in philosophy that are interesting. Um, one is, uh, I mean, it's almost mythical, this um, 60s philosopher, Albert Camus, um, French existentialist, thought that all the questions in philosophy that had been asked up till then were worthless until you asked the question, is life worth living? <laughs> and to go, and then he sets out, he, he says, because, because uh, he talks about the myth of Sisyphus, which is the Greek myth um, 
or Sisyphus. I don't know why, but he's contempt. He's condemned to Hades, and he has to roll a rock up a hill. And as soon as it gets to the top of the hill, it just rolls back down. Mm-hmm. And so this is what he's doing for an eternity. But, but the Greeks are great, um, and th- it's not just about Sisyphus. It's about human life in general. It's like, hey, okay, I'm going to get up, and I'm going to make the bed, and I'm going to go write another song again, and I'm going to pick up the kids, and then I'm going to go eat, and then I'm going to put them to bed, I'm going to put them in shower, and then I'm going to go to sleep, and then I'm going to get up, and then I'm going to get them ready again, and I'm going to do this. I'm gonna do it's, it's Sisyphus, right? We're pushing yeah. a rock up yeah. the hill, and so... The question for Camus is, why? <laughs> why are we doing this and what is the meaning of it all? Of course, um, there's a religious answer to that. Um, Camus wants a, a philosophical answer to that, which is uh, um, what he sets out to do. and It's called the myth of Sisyphus. So that is an interesting question to me. Um, what is happiness and how do you achieve it? Um, those are interesting questions to me. And that becomes kind of interesting in the context of country music to me. I mean, it's not like I'm not a country boy. I mean, I go fishing right. and stuff like that. And I was yeah. raised in the country. And so those kinds of questions with some country humor, um, it, it like to me, it really works. Um, it's... Uh, I, I love Shel Silverstein growing up and still love him and think that he had something... He was brilliant to offer the songwriting community with his work. And those are the kinds of things sometimes that I tackle. Sometimes it's just, you know, it, it's not that, it, it's not like I'm tackling heavy philosophy it's not every that deep. day. And it's not that deep. Yeah. Or it's like deep as your grandpa, which doesn't seem deep, but then it is deep. You right. know what I mean? <laughs> and, it, and it's like a little um, tricky mirage kind of thing. Um, yeah. So. I wouldn't say that philosophy particularly, but the I, more so the my affinity for it and my affinity for the questions may drive some creativity somehow. That's an interesting uh, thought, uh-huh. the questions. You also have your own band, Republican Hair. Can you tell the people a little bit about this band? Yeah, well... Because I feel like this band kind of sums you up in a different way as well. It's a little different. It's a different <laughs> side of my brain. Yeah. Um, and um, we actually were called Republican Hair. Now we're called Steve. Did you know that? I did not know that. Why uh-huh. didn't anyone tell me that? I just told you. Well, wow. Okay. So Steve, Steve, why did you make the change? I just didn't feel like it was Republican hair anymore. I thought it was felt like more like it was Steve, the everyman. You know, now that I think about it, when I pulled it up on Spotify, Mm -hmm. it said by Steve. And I was like, who the fuck is Steve? (laughs) (laughs) So now it makes sense. Okay. Uh, well, what, can you tell people about this van? Because I've seen you guys live, and it was one of the most fun shows I've been to at the yeah. Five Spot. It's super high energy. I started Steve um, probably three or four years ago now. And uh, I just, at first it was, I want to write a song that's two minutes long. And the first song was called I Don't Care that I ever wrote. I wrote it with this other guy named Luke his name is Luke Foley. Yeah. And uh, it's like, maybe we write it about the end of the world, but um, we're just going to party. It's the end of the world. I don't care. It's fine. We're just a drink, whatever. And um, I liked that perspective. And then it became, you know, more fed by the feed, I guess, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a little weirded out by social media culture. It's a little strange. It's strange. I, But then I still kind of like it. Um, and so there's this ambivalence there. And so I just thought it might just be nice to have... It exercise whatever it is that weird ambivalence about <clears throat> the weird technological world that we have mm-hmm. um and so 
there's um, uh, the newest release is called I Am Steve, which has changed the name of the band. And it's completely it's about Steve finding his way in the world and what he's supposed to do and how do we achieve happiness. In the so world. you're answering all the questions. You philosophically it's Steve's, ask it's yourself. A quest. It's Steve's quest. Oh, Steve. Right. Okay. And I've uh, and I always wanted a show that um, I wanted enough in the songs that could give people something to chew on, that could also be fun, that could also give somebody a reason to go to a show. Because I'm, I don't, en I don't enjoy. I really don't enjoy anymore going to shows where it's like quiet acoustic, mm -hmm. you know, songwriter stuff. Generally, it's not my vibe. And uh, I just want to have fun. I just want to lose my mind for a minute. I just want to jump around. And I want people to jump around with me and to sort of have a little celebration for the night that we're here and it's great and it's weird and it's fucked up and it's good and it's bad but yeah it's fun <laughs> um, it's that, a release it is a release yeah. and that's what I want and that's what Steve needs yeah and that's what Steve is getting so is Steve like does this feel a totally different creative part of you versus like writing a country song for someone else that is not necessarily fully your story Steve like you said doesn't have there's no, there are no rules yeah what steve can talk about there are rules of what you can talk about in country music and i steve can be apathetic about the world one day and say everything fucking sucks come on man this yeah sucks. And Steve can make a whole song about that, and that can be Steve's single if he wants it to be. That can't be a country single. No. Country music is about some kind of affirmation of, vow, of, a, of a traditional value. That's the difference between country and rock to me. There's stylistic differences in the, in the way that it's approached and the vocalizations and stuff like that, but there's a real underlying difference and it is that rock doesn't have to be apathetic or whatever but yeah. there's plenty of apathy is okay it's, it's rock and roll is a place to have a little bit of apathy indie rock whatever um anything but country country has it's like there may be bad things happening in a country song but it is to teach you a lesson or to do this or to mm. do that and i think that's the beauty of it too um, so I really enjoy not having those rules. I enjoy having those rules when I'm, when I'm having those rules. Um, but if Steve wants a trap beat and to sing about everything sucks, Steve can do that. You know? Right. Um, or Steve can sing about the Olsen twins if he wants to. <laughs> Clickbait? Is Click, that the one? Yeah, clickbait. <laughs> I remember that one. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So you have... Steve, you have this songwriting, and now you have done a documentary, which I'm super fascinated have you by. Not see, have you seen it? I can't. No, I can't find it anywhere. All right. Which we, you'll have to tell us I where may, to find it. Maybe but. I'll send it to you. But okay. well, it's not out. Oh, it's not out. It's it's in the festival circuit right now. Okay. And so we started the festival circuit in 2019 at South by Southwest. We got accepted to South by Southwest, and so we showed it down there. Had three sold out screenings and then we won dead center film festival in oklahoma and then we won san antonio film festival Dang. and then we showed it in san francisco we showed it in tulsa we showed it a couple other places and then it's going to be shown at the nashville film festival which is when do you know uh the first week of of october of october um, okay so it's coming it, up yeah it's coming up let me i can tell you exactly um, it's called red dog which everyone should definitely research. I think there's a whole website on this, right? But can you tell people the whole premise? It's about your childhood and yeah, your mom. It is. Um, our, our, it's, our screenings are on 10.5 and 10.6 okay. in, in Nashville cool. for the Nashville Film Fest. I'm sure if you just look up Nashville yeah. Film Fest or whatever. Um, 
so my mom met my dad when she was working at this place called the Red Dog, which is a topless joint in Oklahoma City. It's been there since 1965, and it's still open today. And so I was curious and interested about her story and just started slowly interviewing her. Just like you talking to your mom. This was not for anything. That's right, me talking to my mom and thought, what a great story this would be. What a great documentary or something this would be. And it was when I was living in New York, and so then I started getting into cameras with my friends, and so I started filming her and getting footage of her telling stories and then not knowing, thinking this could be a movie, this will be a movie when the time is right. And I don't Mm. know when the time is right, but I'm just going to keep on amping up on this and and working with it. Because it was also a time to get to know my mom, to document my mom, to get to know who she was. And then over the course of several years, I found other people who were in our lives at that time, which was roughly 1979 to 1984. Um, She worked there from like 76 to 84 or something like that. And so found people that were in her life and in our lives and other, other strippers, other bouncers, other people who'd worked there, where they are now. Are they still alive? Some aren't. Some are. What happened? And... So I, we, we, the film looks at the arcs of these people, but really it's strangely a film about parenthood um, because what you're seeing are the, the weird choices that people make when they're young and how it factors into them raising their kids yeah. or when they decide to get their shit together or when they just don't get their shit together. Um, and what happens. And so that was what was interesting to me and also a retrospective on strippers that are now pushing 70, you know, and still friends. And there's also this really strong bond between people who worked as strippers together. Um, So I really found that interesting. Um, And it was also another reason to work with my friends, you know, or my closest friend, Casey Pinkston, who made the film with me. And then also um, another reason to hang out with your mom and then reconnect with all these other people that you kind of know and then didn't. Actually, my um, I kind of have a long-lost brother um, who's talked about in the film, and he's actually here this week. Oh, really? Yeah, he was here. he's here for a conference. We reconnected because of the film oh, wow. or after the film. And, uh, and um, anyway... He came to town and staying with me and we're hanging out and reconnecting this week. So did you so did you grow up just going to the strip club? Well, yeah. I mean, it wasn't like my mom took me there for every shift or anything right. but to go pick up a check or go play of course, do yeah. this or do that. Yeah. Stay, you know, be playing video games or, you know, shooting pool, you know, doing whatever yeah. inside the club after or before hours or whatever. And um did you even think about that as weird or just, that was just you what don't, you knew? You don't when you're two, three years old. Yeah. You know, it's just just going to work with your mom or doing whatever you need to do. There's no reason behind things. Right. When you're that young. Um, but we actually went and did a private couple of, no, they weren't, they were public screenings at the Red Dog recently over the past month. And so we had these, we sold out two screenings. The place is huge. So it was like, hundreds on hundreds of people and there were lines and people there was a real connection to the place yeah for oklahomans um the red dogs in oklahoma and also the response in other states and stuff too i don't know i feel like there's something there and um it's likely going to be released in the new year in 2020 um so we, we have a plan that we can't quite un and uh unwrap yet but there's some some new teammates coming on board and so we're going to put it out there in the new year i read in an interview that you did with someone you said for me it's interesting to see your parents flailing about as parents and to see that they were obviously just figuring it out too like as a kid you don't think about that you just think your parents know everything yeah um the fact that your parents are actually fallible 
mm-hmm. um, that doesn't occur to you till later. Although my kids tend, they smell weakness like bees or something like that. <laughs> um, my son calls me out on injustices and stuff all the time. Of course, it's always a it's always a play. It's a uh, it's a play to get something else, you know. Which yeah. is the inju- it's super super um, advanced bit of cunning that's happening. <laughs> but he, uh, they, these ones, the new batch of kids tend to smell fear. Yeah, um, they're smarter than we they were. They know. We, they know I'm flailing and don't know what to do. <laughs> were you worried about putting this story out, like what people would think about your childhood or what they would think about your mom? I wasn't really worried about me. Um, yeah. I mean, it was a a real conversation that I had with my mom. And if that was something that she wanted to do. Yeah. Um, I don't think she ever really believed that I would finish the film or anything like that until um, we started doing a little bit of press in Oklahoma. And there was a Kickstarter campaign in which the free press had gotten a hold of it and they were excited about it. And then it became a little regional sensation with the, the, the Kickstarter campaign Mm -hmm. and it was on, um, you know, radio stations and stuff without me having to publicize about it. People really took an interest in it. And then she was like, Oh shit. (laughs) It's like she had to, she had to tell her boss and stuff like that, you know, which, right. Cause I'm assuming she's not a stripper anymore. anymore. No, no, (laughs) no. So she, um, she's retired now, but she's a nutritionist. And so she had to go, she went and told her boss, you know, it's like, um, this is happening and this is, uh, what I'm going to be doing. Did they care? They just didn't say, you know, it was a funny interaction that she described to me. And, and she said, my boss just goes, that was not what I was expecting you to want to talk to me about. (laughs) It's probably the last thing he would have thought. (laughs) And so that, I think that's where they left the conversation. She she was like, okay, cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, What do you even say? I guess. (laughs) (laughs) So people in Nashville can see this October 5th and 6th. That's right. At the Nashville film festival. And then what about the people who, January. I would say follow me on Instagram. Follow Luke Dick on Instagram because I'll blab about it. Um, But also there's a website, reddog.film, where you can see a trailer now. The trailer's really good. That is what got me so excited about this. Um, I'm I'm really proud. I mean, I think up to now, it's such an undertaking to me. um, I like, I mean, again, I'm trying to like what I'm doing, but it's such an undertaking that I'm, really proud of and have spent a lot of time on i've spending a lot of time to try to get it out there to public and the right way to do that and how to all the details of um the film festivals and stuff like that so because I, you did the music too right yeah, and I, re- I made the soundtrack and the soundtrack when we release it we'll have other artists on there oh, that's um, cool patrick carney from the black keys contributed and helped me produce some of it and um, um, Miranda came and sang on a song and, and so I'm trying to get some other people involved who are excited about the film and are like yeah let's do it so hopefully by the time we get to the new year and the soundtrack's done we'll have a nice little cast of features yeah. of me working with people that I love and who I respect as artists and who are a part of my little my little uh, scrapbook yeah <laughs> So you guys keep up on the website. You said it's at Luke Dick on Instagram. At Luke Dick on Instagram. And then you have your own website, LukeDick.org. Yeah, it's yeah. It's a mouthful. Uh-huh. Um, and then I was going to say go find Republican hair where, but it's find Steve. Where. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, right now we are making the transition, so you can still find us at, what is it? He's looking. Well, on Spotify, if you put in Republican hair, it still pulls yeah, you guys yeah. up. It'll pull it up, but it's all going to yeah. switch to Steve. But, well, it says Steve. Now next it's all week, making sense. Yeah, okay. Next week, yeah. it's going to all switch to Steve. So okay. look up Steve the Band. Look up Steve the Band. Steve and the band. anything else? Are there shows coming up with you guys? Um, we're opening for the Kings of Leon this weekend. If you're Shut in up. Oklahoma City, it is a free show. And then That's we're cool. playing in Tulsa. 
and then I'm chilling out for the rest of the year and finishing the, the soundtrack record. Yeah. Doing a little bit of production with another artist and then also doing, um, writing songs with my friends. Uh, I will always looking for a song. <laughs> Well, we can't wait to hear them. Yeah. So thank you for being here. Thank you. I appreciate you doing this. And thank you guys for listening. Go check out Luke Dick, Steve, Republican Hair, everything, Red Dog, yes. all of it. It's all exciting. Thanks for listening. Thanks. This is Kelly Henderson, and you've been listening to the Velvet's Edge podcast. I truly believe that every one of us has a little velvet and a little edge. So it's so important to remember that to be strong, you must be soft too. Thank you so much for sharing in those stories with me. You can follow Velvet's Edge on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as velvetsedge.com. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me every Wednesday for more conversations on lifestyle, beauty, and relationships. Thanks for listening. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Since every minute counts when you're a new parent, who wants to waste time washing bottles? Transform this daily chore with the Baby Bretza Bottle Washer Pro, the first machine that automatically washes, sterilizes, and dries bottles, pump parts, and sippy cups at the push of a button. Its 20 spray jets clean everything 100%. Plus, it sterilizes with steam, then dries with germ-free air. Don't waste time on tedious hand washing. Let the Baby Bretza Bottle Washer Pro do it for you. Shop now at babybretza.com. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets in the car, while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.